sort of an in-between series point in the life uh, of our church. We just finished up a series on Colossians, and next week we're going to begin a series looking at who is Jesus Christ, looking at the claims of Christ, who He claims to be, looking at His life, uh, and looking at His teachings as well. Uh, but today what we're going to do is we're going to take a psalm and look at it. And I've always thought that what I would like to do each year is a couple of weeks, kind of in between series, look at a psalm. Uh, because I really think the psalms are one of the most practically useful parts of Scripture for us. They really can be an aid to us in learning how to pray. Uh, whatever emotion you may be experiencing, you can find a psalm that matches up with that almost. Uh, and so I think they're very helpful to us in learning how to pray. And so today we're going to look uh, as an example of a psalm of praise. We're going to look at Psalm 147. Uh, and there's a couple of ways I hope this helps us. Uh, one, I hope it simply helps us to learn how to praise God. That it gives us some nuts and bolts to that. Uh, secondly, I hope studying this will help us to develop a focus on God in our prayers. Uh, because if, you, if you're like me at all, uh, I, I think most of us, if we were, we were honest, we would say that in a 10-minute time spent in prayer, usually we might get 60 seconds worth of, of praise and adoration into that 10 minutes before we kind of hand God our grocery list. Yes, God, you're great. That, all right, here's what I need. Uh, and, and I hope that looking at this will help us think about praising God and how to actually go about doing that. Uh, help us to get our eyes off of ourselves and off of our circumstances and actually on to God. And, and honestly, that's one of the most healthful things you can do for your spiritual health is to get your eyes off of yourselves. And so, um, hopefully this will be a help to us in that today. So, Psalm 147, I'm going to read the whole psalm beginning in verse 1. And if you've been paying attention, you've noticed we've been using this for uh, a couple of weeks in our call to worship, but you don't get any bonus points if you've noticed that. Uh, psalm 147, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcast of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. For the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him and those who hope in His steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For He strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. He sends out His command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down His crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before His cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. Would you pray with me? 
Father, you've given us this word. Uh, you've said that it's useful for our uh, instruction, for our learning, for making us more like Christ. Uh, and so I pray that you would use your word uh, in our lives this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we kind of dive into this, let me give you a little background that might be helpful in, in understanding this psalm. Um, imagine that you've grown up in a country, you've lived there your entire life, and then one day your parents tell you, you know, this isn't really your home country. Uh, when, when you were very young, a foreign army invaded our home country, they destroyed our neighborhood, uh, they destroyed everything really, and then they took a lot of us off in captivity to this land that we live in now. This really isn't your home country. Uh, you also learn that the reason this happened is that God was actually judging your home country for their sin. But now, as He had promised to do, God is in the process of sending His people back home, uh, back to their country. Your time in captivity is over. Uh, the, the city, Jerusalem, uh, is being rebuilt. The walls are being rebuilt. Uh, the place where you worship is being restored. And so people are worshiping. They're celebrating. Uh, this happened to the Israelites. Uh, and Nehemiah tells us, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. Now we don't know for sure that this psalm was used on that day, but it's pretty evident that it was written during those days. Uh, the Israelites had returned from exile. They were rebuilding the city. They had rebuilt the wall. They were rebuilding the temple. And so it was time to celebrate. It was time to praise the Lord for what He had done. Now, I say all that because it helps you kind of get the psalm as you're looking at it. Some of these verses that you might go, well, no, why is that? Like, uh, for instance, verse 2, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcast of Israel. Uh, then verse 13, for He strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. Verse 14, He makes peace in your borders. Alright, so you can see how that psalm kind of makes sense in this context. That the people would be excited about these things and they would be praising the Lord. And so kind of with that as the background, what I want to do with this is look at uh, the call to praise in this psalm. And then three things that the psalmist gives praise for. First of all, the call to praise. Look at verse 1. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant, and a song of praise is, is fitting. Right, so right off the bat, uh, you see the psalmist acting as the choir leader of God's people and calling them to do their duty and calling them to do what actually should be their delight. Calling them to do what they're made to do. Calling them to bring praise and worship to God. Calling them to do something that's pleasing to God and that's also good to them. Good for them. Uh, now, uh, forgive the sports illustration, but and no John right, it's not an Auburn illustration. Um, but if you've ever been to a major college football game, you know before the game what happens is the cheerleaders all run out on the field and they kind of lead everybody in the home team's cheers. And what are they doing with that? 
Well, they're reminding everybody, hey, here's what you're here for. You're not here to heckle the quarterback. Uh, you're not here just to drink beer uh, and sweat. You're here to, to, to praise the team, to cheer for your team. Let me remind you what you're here to do. When God's people will gather to worship, verse 1 is kind of like the psalmist running into the sanctuary and saying, remember what you're here to do. You're here to praise the Lord. Yes, I hope you have an enjoyable experience of worship. Uh, yes, uh, I hope the sermon is good. I hope you're comfortable. I hope the air conditioning works. All of these things. But more importantly, remember, we're here to praise the Lord. And so the psalmist reminds us that right off the bat. That as God's people gather corporately in this thing called worship, our priority is simply to praise the Lord. Now, not only is that something we ought to do publicly, but it's something we ought to do privately as well. Uh, when you sit down by yourself to, to take up your Bible, to, to read, to pray, that's more than just a quiet time. That actually ought to be a time of private worship, of personal worship. And this psalm and others remind us that in that time of personal worship, don't forget to praise God. Don't forget to praise the one who has redeemed you. It's what you're made for. It's what life is actually all about. So hallow his name. Praise his name. It's good, he says. It's fitting. Uh, it's pleasing. It's pleasant. All of these things. Now, uh, let me make application of this also to our prayers. Uh, do you ever kind of approach your times in the Word like this? Uh, you read your Bible, whatever chapters you thought you might read today, and then immediately you close it and you just start sending up whatever prayers come to mind. Right? They're, they're, sometimes they're just kind of divorced from whatever you read. It's like, well, I know I was supposed to read that today. I read it, so now let me pray. Uh, let me offer an alternative. Instead, why not talk to God about what He has just talked to you about in His Word? Uh, and with that, every section of Scripture isn't going to prompt the same type of prayer. Uh, some of them are going to lead you to confess your sin. Some of them will lead you to make requests to God. Some of them will lead to thanksgiving. And some of them, like this psalm, are going to lead you to praise God. So the suggestion is to use psalms like this one if you struggle with, man, I just have a hard time praising God when I pray. That's all right. There's a whole section of the Bible to help you. Uh, take one of these and, and read through it and use it as a springboard to prayer. Uh, secondly, when you pick up your Bible, you're like, okay, I'm going to do that. And you pick up your Bible and you read, praise the Lord. And you read, it's good and it's fitting and it's pleasant. And, you're, and you read it and, and you're going, I, I don't really feel like praising God. Um, my life's just not that great right now. Or I'm very sleepy right now. Uh, or he says it's good and fitting and pleasant, but it just seems kind of boring to me. Um, what do you do with that? You just kind of fake it? Or you just skip it and say, well, it doesn't matter? Uh, what do you do? Let's say you remind yourself, all right, here's what I'm called to do. Here's why I should do it. Remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself of God's goodness to you in Jesus Christ. To give yourself uh, the preeminent thing you ought to praise God for. Uh, confess to Him, Lord, I do find... Surfing the internet more stimulating than praising you for 30 seconds. Uh, watching TV is more stimulating. I confess that to you. Would you help me? 
Would you help me to do what you've made me to do? And then you take up the psalm and you use it to praise the Lord. So the first thing in this is this this call to do that. To praise the Lord. Now, uh, the second thing, three things. Three things that the psalmist calls us to praise God for. And the first one is this. It's God's redeeming and restoring activity. God's redeeming and restoring activity. When I was younger, my mom got a piano uh, out of an old barn on someone in the family's land. And it had been sitting in this barn for who knows how long. Uh, and it basically had old paper towels and motor oil cans sitting on it. You know, there's a lawnmower jacked up next to it, and there's this piano. That, no, why is the piano? Nobody really knows. It's just where they stored it. Well, this piano was actually uh, built in around 1900, and and so we got it, and she took it to Mr. Thomas's shop. And I remember Mr. Thomas's shop was like in the basement of this equally old house, and there are weeds around it. And you're like, what? <sighs> okay, I believe this is going to look good when I see it. Take it in there, it comes out as this beautifully restored piano that, that Emma still plays whenever we visit uh, my parents. Uh, you, you would look at it and think, nothing good, nothing beautiful can come out of this. And yet here it is, making beautiful music to this day. Uh, the, the psalm tells us that what Mr. Thomas did for a piano, God is in the business of doing that in human lives. God is in the business of doing that in human lives. God worked mightily uh, to bring his people back to their land, to restore their place of worship, to cause the city of Jerusalem to be rebuilt. And, and God is still at work today. He's intervening. He's been intervening all through history, working on behalf of his people. Uh, he delivered his people from the flood in the days of Noah. He delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. He delivered his people from exile in Babylon. He sent his son to work miracles, to live sinlessly, to die for the sins of his people. He sends his Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and our lives even today. He's building up his church in the midst of a world that doesn't like his church very much. He draws broken-hearted and hurting people to him, people whose lives are wrecks. And he restores those lives. And he makes people Whole And Jesus promises to return one day and to finish this work of restoration that he started. Um, this great God who creates the stars, who calls them each by name, is not a weak God. He's not a God who wound it all up and is sitting helplessly saying, I hope something good comes out of this. No, he's great and he's mighty in power. The psalm tells us his understanding has no limit. And this all-powerful God, this all-knowing God, stoops to bring rebels to Himself. He stoops and He reaches into the wreckage of human hearts and human lives. And He restores people. And He makes them whole. He heals our self-inflicted wounds. He gathers orphans uh, into a family. He draws us to Himself. He's been at work in the past. He's at work now, and he'll continue to be at work in the future. And so we're called to praise him for this. Now let me, let me apply this kind of broadly and say, this is why we praise God. This is why we hallow his name, because we're mindful of the redemption that he has worked in our lives. 
You say you have a hard time doing that. Here's a psalm to help you. Now, this psalm, even as I say that, is both uh, disturbing and encouraging. You're like, well, where is it disturbing? Why is the psalm disturbing? Well, it says that God cast the wicked to the ground. Uh, and in the Bible, the wicked are all those who have not bowed their knee to God the Creator. And yet it's encouraging as well because in verse 6 we read that the same God actually lifts up the humble. He lifts up the humble. See, there's this uh, misunderstanding that Christianity is about being good. It's all these good people who are, who are being goody-two-shoes and looking down on everybody else. And what this is telling us uh, is that Christians are fallen people. They're messed up people. A Christian is not someone who has lifted themselves up, uh, gotten their life together, started doing the right thing. But there's someone who's humbled themselves before the Lord and said, I can't get this together. I'm not able to do the right thing. I'm not a good person. And in the midst of that, they've been lifted up by God. They don't lift themselves up. They're lifted up by God. And so the message is, humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. He'll restore you. He'll renew you. He'll work on those broken places in your life. See, the psalm tells us that God doesn't delight in, in people who have it all together, or who think they have it all together. God doesn't delight in people who trust in their own strength. But He delights in those who fear Him and put their trust and their hope, not in themselves, but in His unfailing love. See, we're, we're so concerned with impressing other people. And here's a psalm telling us, you know, God actually delights in people who realize they're not impressive. He delights in people who realize they're not impressive at all. Let me, let me apply it more narrowly to our prayers, uh, kind of as our, our how-to section in this. Uh, notice how the psalmist here, uh, the circumstances of his life influence the direction of his prayers. Uh, he's been restored from exile, and so naturally he wants to praise the one who has restored him from exile. Now, uh, we noted earlier that it's useful to use the scriptures uh, to lead us into prayer. It's also useful and helpful to be mindful of our circumstances, to be mindful of our emotions, and to allow that to, to impact the aspect of God's character that we focus on as we praise Him. But here's what I mean by that. Uh, God is a God of wrath. True? True. God is also a God of forgiveness. A God of love and, and God of forgiveness. Uh, at times, we would do well to contemplate God's hatred of sin and to address Him accordingly. Uh, if you have this sense in your life that you've just kind of been living this carefree, taking sin lightly, you don't really care when you sin, then that might be appropriate time in your life to address God as, Oh God who hates sin. Oh God who hates sin. And yet, here I am and I don't. Uh, or it may be that you fully realize that God hates sin. And you fully realize that God hates your sin. But what you're struggling with is realizing that God actually forgives sin. And that God actually loves you in the midst of this. Perhaps then you need to address God as, Oh God, 
who forgives sin, even my sin. If you're hurting, oh God, who heals the brokenhearted and the hurting. See, addressing God in a variety of ways uh, helps you to pray and helps you to get a better grasp of His character, uh, of what He's really, what He's really like. Uh, notice also the psalmist doesn't pray, "Man, we're glad we're here." Uh, instead, he prays, "God, you brought us here." God, you've brought us here. He doesn't say, thank you for restoring us. He says, God, you're the one who heals us and binds up our wounds. Maybe sometime instead of praying, God, I need help. Maybe we ought to pray, God, you're the one who gives help. You're the one who gives help. You're the one who hears and answers prayer. Instead of, thank you for the food, God, you're the one who supplies all of our food. Now, that's a subtle distinction, isn't it? And I'm not saying one is right and, and the other is wrong. They're both fine. But I think you can see how that might help your prayer and help you to praise God as you focus on the God who provides and not simply on His provision. It's just a simple thing of turning and looking again to Him. So the the psalmist praises God here for his redeeming and his restoring activity. Uh, We should do likewise. The second big focus is on God's governing of the world. Look at at verse 8. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and and to the young ravens that cry. God provides for his creation. Uh, He provides food for His creatures. He provides rain for the grass. You know, we live in a day and age in which people have have largely excluded God from their view of the world. And so we look at our possessions and we say, I've worked hard for these. I've provided these possessions for myself. There's no grace involved. There's no mercy involved. There's no God involved. I I provided this. Uh, I heard of someone recently trying to plant a church in the Northeast and was trying to get grace across and so they were washing cars for free and people would come up, they'd wash their car, what do I owe you? No, you don't owe me anything. And one guy got so mad at this that he threw a $20 bill at him uh, as he was leaving. There's no grace. You, you, you work for things and I'm going to pay you for what you've done. You can't give me anything. Now, we tend to think like that. It's, it's my work that brought this about. And certainly the Bible commends labor on our part, but it also tells us uh, if God doesn't send the rain, the farmer labors in vain. If God sends too much rain, then the farmer labors in vain. If God doesn't build the house, then the builders labor in vain. If God doesn't stand watch over the city, then the watchmen stand watch in vain. And it's all in Psalm 127. You might, you might look at that. And so the psalmist here kind of yanks us out of our self-confidence for a minute and says, look, remember, God's the one who provides. God is the provider. Praise Him for that. It's tempting, though, to trust in ourselves, isn't it? And so the psalmist redirects our focus. Not only is it tempting to trust in ourselves, It's also tempting to think that things will always be the way that they are right now. 
There's always going to be a Walmart. Uh, there's always going to be food to eat, plenty of food to eat. There's always going to be a General Motors. The stock market's never going to crash. Uh, everything's going to go along. We'll be okay. But if God doesn't sustain it, it won't be there. God provides, God sustains, God governs the world. He sends the snow, He sends the frost, He sends the wind. Again, it's very tempting for us to think, we understand how the world works. We can figure all of this out. We understand what causes tornadoes and how nuclear energy is produced, and, and, and we can handle it. And yet, this year, as we're reminded year after year, we're not in control. We're not in control, and we can't always handle it. For all of our knowledge, all of our technology, uh, all of these things, at the end of the day, we're powerless when God sends his commands uh, to the earth, to the elements, to the winds, to the waves. Now, that, that ought to humble us a little bit. Put a healthy fear of the Lord in our hearts and lives. But again, it's a reason to praise God. And again, it's a reason even to have hope in all of this. That the world is not just randomly spinning out of control. But God is on His throne. God is ruling. God is in control. And I might encourage you to look at your own life and see the way God has worked in your life and in your family's life. And think about His providence in governing the world and in bringing you to where you are uh, even now, even today. Look at how He's provided for you. Look at how He's preserved your life. And praise Him for these things. Uh, you know, if, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer uh, in God, um, do you see even in your unbelief how God has provided for you? That He sends rain to the just and to the unjust. He provides for those who believe in Him and for those who don't. He provides you with food and shelter and clothing. And that kindness of God is meant to lead you actually to Him. Thank Him for His kindness. Now last thing here. Uh, the psalmist praises God because He's made His Word known. Verse 19. He declares His Word to Jacob, His statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know His rules. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, if you think about it for a minute, God is not under any obligation to give us His Word. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to give us the Scriptures. He would have been perfectly just in leaving us in our sin and misery and saying, all right, you messed it up. You deal with it. But instead, He's given us His Word. And He's given us His Son. Uh, he's given us the Bible so that we can know this good news about Jesus Christ. He's given us voices and people to speak this good news uh, about grace to us. And God's Word, which once came only to one nation, now is going out to all the nations that all men might know Him. You ever praise God for giving you His Word? For arranging the circumstances of your life so that you actually own a Bible and are able to go to church and you're able to hear this gospel. Have you embraced God's Word? Or do you sort of silently despise God's Word? Put it on a shelf and have no use for it? Uh, God is the one who saves us. 
God is the one who redeems and restores. God is the one who governs the world. God is the one who gives us His Word. God is the one we are made to praise. And the psalm calls us to do that. Verse 5, Great is the Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Verse 11, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His steadfast love. Let's praise the Lord together. Let me pray. Father, we're made to praise You. Uh, And yet, in our rebellion, we look for anything else to praise. We look for anything else to build our lives on and to center our lives around. And God, I pray that You would break through all that noise, break through our sin, that You would show Yourself mighty and powerful and beautiful and wonderful. Indeed, Father, would You lead us to praise You? Would You woo us again with the good news of the Gospel? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.